Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Russell Mariani. Russell is a health restoration specialist. He is a co-founder of the Center for Functional Nutrition in Northampton, Massachusetts. He is a health educator and digestive wellness expert. He has been in private practice since 1980. He is also the author of two books, one from 2006, Healing Digestive Illness, and his newer book from 2020, Principal Eating, The No Diet Way to Complete Health. Other areas of specialization include cellular regeneration, detoxification and cleansing, redox signaling, and reverse aging. Russell has an exceptional ability to bring resolution to difficult to solve health conditions. He is passionate about teaching others how to be and become more proactive in their own self-care. Welcome, Russell. How are you today? Thank you, Terry. I'm feeling great. And hello, everybody out there in Boomer Nation. There you go. So, Russell, let's start with your story. How and why did you become a health restoration specialist? Yes, thanks, Terry. Great question. Uh, so, I just turned 68. I'm actually celebrating the 50th anniversary of my journey, my healing journey. And that journey started at the ripe old age of 18 back in 1973. Around this time, it was actually in March of 1973, after almost a year of very troubling digestive system symptoms, hmm. I'll spare the, the watchers and listeners <laughs> those kind of details, but it was very problematic. It was very uncomfortable, and I ended up having a colonoscopy, and at the end of the colonoscopy, the doctor said to me, um, it does not look good in there, young man. In fact, you might have colon cancer. Mm. You have to do more tests, but, uh, you know, it does not look good. And, you know, you'll have to come back in a few weeks. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> right. You were only 18. Then, That's nuts. What? A few months ago, I was perfectly healthy. You know, so what happened? How did this happen? You know, and <laughs> um, the question I asked was, does this have anything to do with my diet? And his answer changed my life because he said, no, Ugh. absolutely not. It has nothing to do with your diet. And, but I, but I asked that question because about nine months prior to this terrible diagnosis, um, which turned out to be incorrect. I'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. I had radically changed my diet. My high school basketball coach had come up to me and said, you need to put on weight and you need to put on muscle. So I want you to go on this high protein diet. Ugh. Athletes were doing it at the time. So of course I said, great, you know, no problem. Happy to, happy to do it. <laughs> right. So 
So that diet consisted of eating a lot of meat, drinking a lot of milk, eating a lot of cheese. And over the next several months, if I had any vegetables, it was totally by accident <laughs> and not by design. And it really was very different than the normal standard American diet that I had been using my entire life up until that time. So anyway, I went home that afternoon very frustrated, disappointed, and scared. And we didn't have an internet back then. So I went to the public library and started looking up books to, to see if there was a connection between diet and colon cancer in particular, mm -hmm. and disease in general. And I found two or three books and I was all excited. In fact, one of the books, I remember reading a paragraph that said, the, the absence of dietary fiber definitely le has led to a higher incident of colon cancer. Mm. circled it i went to the doctor two weeks later and i said look there's a there's definitely a connection between this crazy diet i've been on and my condition <clears throat> the doctor looked at me and he said young man don't self-diagnose <laughs> i'm the doctor you're the patient and just do what i tell you to do and i was like come on there has to be an explanation for this right and he said, look, I I have good news for you. And I'm like, yeah, what? What <laughs> news do you have for me? And he said, I don't think it's cancer, not yet. Oh. <laughs> you have a precancerous condition called ulcerative colitis. And of course, I'm thinking, what's the difference here? I don't I don't hear any good news here. And he said, we can put you on medication that will definitely stop the symptoms. And, he said, and then he said, but if that doesn't work, we can always do surgery. And I said, surgery, what kind of surgery? He said, well, we can remove your colon. Oh, my God. And you're an 18-year-old, almost 19. I'm 18 That's years nuts. old, right? Yeah. So I'm yeah. thinking, I, so. <laughs> so I walked out of the office that day knowing two things. Number one, I wasn't going to go back to that office. Right. Not want to go that route. And number two, I was on my own. I was going to have to figure this out myself. The world was very different in 1973. And yet, you know, the whole holistic health movement and organic foods movement, uh, functional medicine, integrative medicine, these things were in the very, very beginning of their, uh, you know, life cycle. So, but even with the... Uh, small amount of information and activities and seminars and things like that, I found some people who were already well down the road of establishing the connections between diet and health and improving your diet to address and resolve various types of degenerative disease. So I connected myself with this group of people and started following their dietary recommendations, which were very simple, you know, whole foods, cooked whole foods mostly. And I got better very quickly. In fact, within a few months, everything was improving and I was having normal bowel movements once again. I didn't have any pain. So that was a really important uh, experience for me. It really opened my eyes, really made a big difference. And so I decided that I would then go back School once I graduated from undergraduate, because I was just entering college at age 18, 
And so I went through and did my normal undergraduate work. But when I got out of college, I went back to school uh, to study uh, the connections between nutrition and health and prevent, you know, nutrition as a way to prevent uh, the onset of degenerative disease and uh, to help people if they found themselves in a difficult place. Uh, how they could make changes to dramatically improve their health and not be relegated to that medical model or pharmaceutical model. So, uh, so from 1973 to 1980, that's when I did most of my uh, studying and apprenticing, et cetera. And by 1980, I felt I had learned enough about the fundamentals of nutrition and health, the fundamentals of natural healing. So I started my private practice back then, which hasn't changed really fundamentally in the last 43 years. Right. Uh, the things that were true then are still true today. You know, we definitely have learned a few new things along the way, but the fundamentals still really are the same. Yeah. So one of the fundamentals is I think that the cell is the foundation of our health. So how does that come into play with functional medicine and functional nutrition? Great. Great question. So one of, one of the, I think of myself primarily as a health educator and trying to teach people wherever they're at in their you know own learning curve about health and healing to meet people where they're at and to teach them a basic overview uh, an explanation of what today we call functional medicine or functional nutrition or integrative health. And it goes like this. Physical health is the foundation upon which we build the rest of our lives. You know, very few people would doubt that anymore. You know, you can have all the wealth in the world, but if you don't have your health, that's really the priority. So physical health is the foundation upon which we build the rest of our lives. The quality of our physical health, more than any other factor, is determined by the quality of the life of our cells. Mm -hmm. Cells are healthy, then we are healthy. So when we talk about this foundation, this metaphorical foundation of our life, of our body, we are talking about individual cells. The body is made up of about 100 trillion cells. And cells make up organs, and organs make up systems. Mm -hmm. No matter what condition is that people have, no matter what the symptoms are, no matter how troubling, from the most minor to the most extreme negative type symptoms, all symptoms have their origin in dysfunctioning cells. Hmm. Those dysfunctions are being caused by the person in charge of the body who is doing things <laughs> day after day that cause imbalances, cause, literally cause those dysfunctions to occur. But most people don't realize they're doing this. I mean, right. there are some things that we all are aware if you're smoking or drinking heavily or not exercising, then those things definitely contribute, you know, to your body's lack of proper functioning. Uh, so, but that's the, the basic idea. And, and so, uh, the first principle of functional medicine is every cell is genetically programmed to function normally. Hmm. Okay. And again, most people don't know this, or most people don't realize this. 
But imagine that, that literally every cell in its blue in its DNA has the codes to function normally to not produce a negative symptom and certainly not to degenerate into a disease state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's the basic nature. And then the second principle of functional nutrition states, when it comes to the choices and decisions that we make every day, especially about the choices we make about what we eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, the beverages we consume, the supplements we take, the medications we take, mm-hmm. and any other factor that affects our physical health, nothing is neutral. There isn't anything that we do, and there certainly isn't anything that we put into our body that doesn't have an impact on our physiology, that doesn't have an impact on our body. And so functional nutrition, functional medicine says every impact is either helpful or harmful. Hmm. Every choice, everything that we put in is either driving our physiology towards better homeostasis which is the buzzword for normal functioning. (laughs) When we say every cell is genetically programmed to heal itself and maintain normal functioning, the medical textbooks call that phenomenon homeostasis. Homeostasis just means this natural innate ability to keep things in balance. Mm -hmm. Like right now, your lungs are working perfectly well. They know what to do. You don't have to tell them what to do. Your heart, your kidneys, (laughs) all these organs of our body know what to do. Right. And everything that we put into our body is either causing all the organs of our body to function normally, the way they're designed, or to begin to dysfunction. And at the first moment, any organ or system or cell of the body starts to dysfunction, the body generates a warning signal. The body tries to alert us to the fact that we just did something that is insulting to homeostasis. We've just done something that's causing our body distress. And so (laughs) that warning signal could be a headache. That warning signal could be an achy joint, that warning signal could be fatigue, that warning signal could be anxiety, that warning signal could be insomnia, that warning signal could be a skin problem, and on and on and on. And so the basic position of functional medicine is there are no, um, I could say it this way, A well-nourished body doesn't make mistakes. So if you were, if you had the knowledge and the commitment to your health, you knew what to do and you did it every day, the only relevant proof of that would be that you don't have any negative symptoms at all. (laughs) You sleep like a baby, you have abundant energy, no aches and pains, everything is working properly. Into your 90s. We uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Terry. My dad, he's nine years old, and he's perfectly healthy. Wow. And it's remarkable 
you know, on his 99th birthday, I w- we went out and played golf. Oh, wow. That is incredible. Excellent. So there is a way to nourish ourselves on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. optimize the health of every cell of our body. And that's what we call functional medicine or functional nutrition. And we get, you know, we can talk specifics, you know, we've identified about seven distinct and interconnected root cause areas. So, you know, maybe we can talk about a few of those things today. But this basic idea that the body, given the least, the simplest opportunity to correct, repair and heal itself, it will. And that's very good news for everybody to know. That is good news. So let's talk a little bit about daily hydration, because I know a lot of older people die of dehydration. It's not always what's listed on their death certificate, but that started the downturn. They're not drinking enough. They're not hydrated. And then everything stops functioning. So it's a big problem with people like 80 and over. Absolutely. It's a major problem at any age, but it is particularly a problem uh, of aging. People Mm -hmm. lose the thirst mechanism. Right. They've been erroneously educated from an early from an early age that you don't have to drink water until you feel that you're thirsty. Okay, but that's incorrect. Also, right. definitely, as we age, we can lose that sense of when we're when our body's starting to get thirsty, and if we wait until we feel thirsty, it's it's way too late. So let me just say what each of the seven Root cause are just state them and then we'll go back and talk about proper daily hydration, which is a transformational health habit. Absolutely. So root cause area number one is mindfulness and Mm. include all the things you would normally think of with that term. I think of it mostly as having the ability to distinguish between the complementary and insulting habits. And then root cause area number two is proper daily hydration. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause area number three is micronutrient deficiencies. So that's the world of vitamins and minerals and trace minerals and amino acids and essential fatty acids. You know, what supplements do I need to take? Do I need to take supplements? And if I do, what kind of supplements do I need to take? Root cause area number four is macronutrient imbalances. And that simply means, okay, what do I eat for breakfast? What do I eat for lunch? What do I eat for dinner? So that, that's a big conversation. But that is. <laughs> the, 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 the basic diet for human beings was the same. It was, it was slightly different depending on where you lived on planet Earth. But until the Industrial Revolution, what we would call today the traditional diet of people living in India, people living in China, people living in Japan, people living in Spain, people living in uh, France, people living in Israel, people living around the world, their basic diet had not fundamentally changed in thousands of years. Mm -hmm. With the Industrial Revolution, we've started moving very far away from organic whole foods. And so processed foods is a big problem. So that's what we talk about in root cause area Number four, root cause area number five is what I call intestinal dysbiosis, 
which means there's an overgrowth of the wrong kind of organisms in the gut. So root cause area number five is about gut health. Mm -hmm. What we say in functional medicine is everything is downstream of the gut. Everything is downstream of what's called the intestinal microbiome. So in the same way that we said earlier, if your cells are healthy, then you're healthy. We can also say if your gut is healthy, generally speaking, the rest of your body is very healthy as well. So again, there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> Area number six is oxidative stress. Oxidative stress is the big buzzword in medicine for inflammation. Mm-hmm. And whatever chronic degenerative condition you can name, arthritis, asthma, every type of cancer, MS, whatever the degenerative condition, the primary driver of that condition is oxidative stress and inflammation. So again, there's a lot to talk about there. And then root cause area number seven is redox signaling. And again, this is a fairly new area of medical science. Redox signaling molecules were just discovered in 1997, but pretty much now, almost 30 years later, every major medical research facility, every major university research area has an area devoted to this area of redox signaling. So again, we can talk a little bit about that. But back to hydration. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, even though the, um, the approach that I was taught about nutrition was really good in terms of food preparation and balanced whole food meals, I was actually discouraged through that educational process to drink a lot of water. I was taught that there was enough water in the soup. There was enough water in the way that we cooked grains. There was enough water in the way we prepared vegetables that really one or two glasses of water a day would probably be fine. Hmm. That's what I did. (laughs) That's what I did. And uh, even though my digestive system problem cleared up completely, 100%, Mm -hmm. Into my late 20s and early 30s, I started to experience um, occasional, not all the time, but occasional anxiety attacks, Hmm. occasional uh, depression, like clinical depression. Like I could be feeling 100% fine, no problems in the world, everything's going great in my life, and all of a sudden I would get anxious, or all of a sudden I would feel a state of depression come on. And sometimes it would only last a couple hours. Sometimes it would last a couple days. Sometimes it would last a couple of months. Mm. So it was very troubling for me as a practitioner because I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Right. I talked to people. I was always researching and trying trying to figure out what the heck is causing those symptoms. Well, finally, in 1997, uh, I came across the work of uh, a medical doctor. We call him Dr. B because his last name is hard to pronounce. (laughs) His last name is Batman Gellidge. So we call him Dr. B. His first book was called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And the subtitle of the book is You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty. And somebody somebody gave me this book at a seminar, 
And I read the book on the flight home. And on Monday morning, I called the publisher. I wanted to talk to this guy. <laughs> Chapter five of his book was called Stress and Depression. And he basically laid out in chap in this chapter that what we what medicine defines as anxiety and depression was caused by a lack of proper daily hydration. Wow. I didn't believe that I had never come across this before. Anyway. Right. I called the publisher. They put me in touch with Dr. B. He took my phone call and we talked on the phone for about two hours. Hmm during which time he tried to convince me that he had discovered this formula for proper hydration based on body weight and activity level. And so even though, uh, so all these years, I, I only drank one or two glasses of water a day. He told me that based on my weight, which at the time was about 200 pounds, that I would have to drink half my body weight in ounces of water per day, which meant I would have to drink a hundred <laughs> ounces of water a day. Oh, that's a lot of water. <laughs> that's what I said. That's a lot of water. I couldn't imagine drinking that much water. And I told him, there's no way I can do that. And you don't understand. I already wake up three times a night to pee. If I drink a hundred ounces of water, I'll never sleep. And he laughed and he said, no, no, you don't understand. Your body is dehydrated. Your kidneys are dehydrated. Your bladder is dehydrated. And once all your internal organs are properly hydrated, you might get up once a night, but you shouldn't get up more than that. And I said, okay, I don't believe it, but I was desperate. And I was in the middle of one of these periods of depression. So I was highly motivated. Mm follow his instructions. And I did. I followed his instructions to the letter. And 14 days after I started doing the water cure, what we call the water cure, mm -hmm. my depression lifted. And from that day, 1997, till this day, I've never had another moment of anxiety. I've never had another moment of depression. Mm -hmm. So for me, the, again, what we call the water cure, proper daily hydration, was transformational. It was one of the most significant discoveries of my life up until that time in terms of, you know, things that we can do to improve our health. Right. Obviously, I had known about the food part of everything, right. but it was really astonishing. So most people are, are significantly underhydrated even if they go out of their way to drink more water, even if they have, you know, three or four water bottles and they have a water purifier and a water cooler. So it's a big, big problem. And fortunately, the solution is very, very simple. Hmm. That's good news. <laughs> yes, very good news. So it's usually the very first thing I teach people. You know, we talk about mindfulness. We talk about kind of these obvious things that anybody can do mm -hmm. to learn anything new uh, to, you know, make changes and improvements. And then the very next thing I introduce to people is, again, what we refer to as the water cure recipe, drinking half your body weight in ounces. And just for the people who are listening, um, you wouldn't, if right now you drink 30 ounces of water a day, 
that based on this formula, you need to drink 70 ounces of water a day, you wouldn't necessarily make that change overnight. You would build up gradually. You'd go from 30 to 36 and 36 to 42 and 42 to 40, gradually. Right. It takes several weeks or a month or two to get to that, you know, half your body weight in ounces of water per day. Right. We also, so what I have found, I work with a lot of people who have very serious or very compromised digestive systems. They're in a lot of pain. Uh, and so I have found over the years that when you introduce the water cure, it's important to have the water be body temperature so that cold water can give you gas. Cold water can upset your stomach, but body temperature water sipping a little bit at a time and you add a very tiny amount of salt, sea salt, organic quality sea salt to the water, like less than a quarter of a teaspoon per quart of water. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so on my website, uh, people can access for free what we call the water cure recipe. So that's probably the easiest way to get that information out to everybody. But it is, so like the number one cause of headaches is chronic, unintentional dehydration. And even migraines, any kind of headache, same thing. Any, okay. Any kind of headache, exactly. Wow, because I used any, to get very bad migraines years ago. I don't yeah. anymore, but I used to when I was younger. Yeah, any type of headache, including migraines. Okay. It may not be the only cause, right. but it's definitely a major contributing factor to okay. all negative conditions. Remember, Dr. B's first book was Your Body's Many Cries for Water. You're not sick, you're thirsty. Right. So every negative condition has, as part of its cause, mm -hmm. chronic unintentional dehydration. And in some situations, it's the primary cause. In my situation, where I had been suffering from the anxiety attacks and the clinical depression, it was the primary reason in my physiology why I was having those symptoms on and off for 25 years. Now wow. it's 26 years or 27 years and never, not once, not for five seconds, had an anxiety episode or, or a clinical depression episode. So it's major. And then, you know, uh, cramping, muscle cramping, primarily caused by chronic underhydration. Ah. Intestinal cramping, chronic underhydration. Skin problems, chronic underhydration. So it's a big, big piece of the puzzle. How about uh, restless leg syndrome? Another. Yes. Yes, restless leg syndrome. Absolutely. So in in my education, you know, in the 70s and 80s, I studied traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, acupressure. I was a founding member of the American Shiatsu Association. And so this whole the whole idea of energy healing is really interesting. And the perspective of traditional Chinese medicine. So this whole I, this whole phenomenon of restless leg syndrome, according to Chinese medicine, has its origin in an overactive liver, a stressed out liver. Huh. Part of the cause of that stressed out liver is it's underhydrated. Right. 
right. start misbehaving. So one of the symptoms of a stressed out liver is restless leg syndrome. Huh. Another symptom of an of a stressed out liver is migraine headache. Uh yeah, and I, you know what? I eventually wound up having my gallbladder taken out, which I regret. I worked with it for 15 years. And so the gallbladder and the liver work together. So they probably right. both contributed to the migraines, but no one could tell regular doctors don't know that. So I wound yeah. up having my gallbladder taken out. Um, and I wish I hadn't, I tried for 15 years not to, I tried, yeah. but I got to a point where I'm like, okay, just take it out. <laughs> yeah. And, and you did the right thing, Terry, right. the circumstances and the body is quite resilient. Mm-hmm. No, that gallbladder has been removed. Everything else is still functioning. Your liver is still creating bile and sending it through the conduit that they surgically repaired so mm-hmm. that that material can still uh, be utilized by your digestive system. So, right. um, yes, I mean, we like to keep everything. <laughs> right, right. But, Fortunately, you know. of all the surgeries that you could have, uh, the removal of a gallbladder is something that most people can not just survive, but do very well and uh, not develop additional problems. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I believe that's true. I believe that, you know, dehydration is a huge problem. And when you look at our young people today who are always anxious, depressed, and are, and what are they doing? All they do is drink soda all day long. They don't even drink any water. So this is a major problem for our young people. Yes, and thanks for uh, making that distinction. Dr. B was very, very clear that to hydrate the body, it had to be water. Right. Fruit juice, not tea, not right. coffee, not beer, not soda, not any other beverage. Right. Half of our body weight in ounces is water and a little salt. Right. So, and, and if you do that, and you do that consistently, you'll find that your need or desire for other beverages goes down, you know, dramatically. Right. And I do drink water all day. Now I do drink probably too much coffee in the morning because I'm trying to get my energy up, but we're going to, you know, we've talked about that. I might be able to not need so much coffee, but I have been adding the salt to my water. So I have been able to keep my energy through the day, which is really good because I had a huge energy problem. Right. Yeah. Well, so it, when, when you look at cells, mm-hmm. as we said in the very beginning, the foundation of the body is the cell. That's the basic building block. Fifty, And then we look at the structure of a cell. 55 to 75% of the physical structure of every cell of our body, bone cells, kidney cells, liver cells, brain cells, nerve cells, muscle cells, 55 to 75% of that physical structure is water. Wow. Everything that happens inside that cell, and there are miracles that happen inside the cell. You know, yep. I yep. study you know, molecular biology all the time. It's, it's amazing. Inside every cell, there are little micro machines. The complexity <laughs> of just one cell is phenomenal. It's mind-boggling, mind-blowing. But... So a, a significant amount of the physical structure is water. And therefore, once that cell starts to become dehydrated at any level, it starts to freak out. 
And it starts to cry out to you, the owner of the body, for help. It's just like, as you said a few minutes ago, doctors don't know this. Most of them don't know this. Right. A lot of practitioners don't know this. So we don't get this information. Right. And so we end up treating the symptoms of dehydration with other things, painkillers, pain relievers, you know, anti-inflammatories, when the body just needs water and salt. Right. Amazing. And so what's the first, if you're admitted into the hospital, the very first thing that's done to any patient that is actually admitted is they're given an IV solution. Absolutely. Yep. That, that IV solution is water and salt. <laughs> so they know what we need, but they're not telling us that, which is terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, I've tried to figure out what, why it's like the, the understanding of a lot of medical people is you just have to, you know, the standard American diet is fine. You know, you can drink coffee, juice, eat whatever you want. Your body will take the water from all those things. Right. And so you don't, you know, you don't need to drink a lot of water, but it's totally incorrect. And what we need is half our body weight in ounces of water every single day as an absolute minimum. That's for a person just sitting around all day if you <laughs> and sweat, then you need to drink even more water. But uh, again, if people can go to my website and you, you'll see very clearly the water cure recipe, probably on the banner of, the, you know, the, the top of the website or you, you shouldn't have to search or just go to the search bar and ask for the water cure recipe and, and you'll be able to download that very easily. And that's huge. That's huge. So next thing, let's talk about digestion, because that's another problem area for older adults. Their digestion starts going wonky. And probably a lot of it is because they're not drinking enough. But are there other things they need to do to keep their digestion functioning? Yes, and, and you're right. So the, the, the most important thing that your digestive system needs in order to function normally is proper Hydration. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Every so all the structures, all the parts and components of your digestive system are made up of cells, and those cells need to be properly hydrated. So that's a big piece of the puzzle. And then <clears throat> of course, probably the next easiest thing to think about is the difference between traditional whole food diet what that probably looked like or what that definitely looked like versus what most people are eating today for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Okay. Now I'd say most people, if they're still following what we call a standard American diet, they're having processed cereal for breakfast. They're having coffee at breakfast. Maybe they're having donuts and coffee at breakfast. Mm. They're yep. having eggs and bacon and toast. Uh, and coffee and orange juice for breakfast or pancakes or waffles or things like that. Right. Most of those foods that I just described are processed foods, processed grains in particular. Okay. And so the easiest thing to do when you look at your current diet is to try to replace any form of processed food with the whole food alternative. So instead of processed cereal of any kind, including granola, which is a processed food or a processed cereal, 
-hmm. go to the whole grain, round rice, whole oats, whole barley. In fact, in Europe, the the, the traditional uh, food of choice was cooked barley porridge or cooked oat porridge, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, wow. Cooked vegetables, yes, and seasonal fruits when available, and yes, you know, uh, chicken or lamb or turkey or things like that. Fermented vegetables, what we would call pickles, was a part of the traditional diet. But root vegetables and cruciferous vegetables and vine vegetables and green leafy vegetables on a foundation of cooked whole grains and cooked beans. Cooked grains and cooked beans were the staple foods for people living in a four-season climate. So if you're living in Germany or France in the wintertime a thousand years ago, you didn't have access to fresh fruit and you didn't have access to fresh vegetables. You had a root cellar. Right. Even Even the vegetables that you were able to store would only last so far. And when you got to this point of the year in Europe, you still weren't able to plant new things yet. No. So you had to rely on whole grains and whole beans. Those were the staple foods because they would last for years if you stored them correctly. So again, uh, even now in the in our modern world and in the modern diet, if you replace processed grains with cooked whole grains, if you bring back cooked beans to complement the the whole grains and eat more vegetables, you can have chicken and fish and beef and lamb and pork, all those if, as long as they're organically raised and you know don't have a lot of uh, chemicals in the processing of those animal foods. Uh, animal protein, animal foods can definitely and should be part of a healthy, uh, diet. It doesn't, you know, I don't advocate vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. If you go that way, fantastic. And many people do and are very healthy. And I say fantastic. But um, a mostly plant based diet supplemented with animal foods is a perfectly reasonable approach for most people. And most people find that approach very easy to do. Right, right. That's where you would begin looking at what you're currently eating, being able to distinguish what's whole food uh, and what's a processed food and start minimizing the processed foods and having more organic quality whole food. Right. And it has been very confusing over the years because they keep changing on what we should be eating, what we shouldn't be eating. And this person says this thing and someone else says something else. And so it overall, it has been very confusing for us knowing what to eat. So that's good that you gave us an idea of the best diet. Yeah. And I've used this same basic approach my entire adult life. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I started learning about proper whole food nutrition at age 18, now I'm 68, 50 years, my diet has been very consistent. I mean, very consistent, no dramatic changes at all. And that's the diet, you know, a, a wide uh, a traditional diet, whole foods diet, that's the diet I recommend to other people. And people find it very easy mm-hmm. to adapt and very easy to continue with because 
It's an omnivore diet. You know, we're we are literally omnivores. We, we we're not designed, I believe, to be vegetarians. Again, if you want to make that choice, that's perfectly fine. Right. But we the the the, the key thing is to make sure that whatever the food is in question, that it's organic quality, that it's food, and that you're selecting food from the whole cornucopia, not just one or two aspects of that cornucopia. Usually when meat becomes a problem, it's because people are eating way too much meat. They're eating way too much processed grain, butter, flour, sugar combinations, cookies, cakes, pies, bread, pasta. They're eating all those processed grains and they have very little or no whole grains at all. Now we're start we we know we're talking about food. We started talking about digestion, mm-hmm. and uh, so part of the reason why fiber-rich foods like whole grains, like beans, like all kinds of vegetables and fruits, the reason why these food one of the reasons why these foods are so important is they provide fiber so that we can feed the healthy bacteria in our gut and so that we can have proper elimination every day. One of the major problems in aging is constipation. And part of the cause of constipation is underhydration, as mm-hmm. we've been talking about. And part of, the pro- part of the cause of constipation is not enough proper fiber in the diet. Okay. So, and I mentioned... Uh, bacteria. Most people are familiar with the term probiotics, mm-hmm. and probiotics means healthy bacteria. And it's it's an amazing thing, the digestive system. We mentioned earlier in the conversation that cells are the basic building block, and the human body has a hundred trillion cells. <laughs> When we think of all the normal things, our bones, our muscles, our internal organs, our blood, our lymph, our brain. But living in the digestive system, which starts at the mouth, then goes down the throat, then your stomach, then you have 24 feet of small intestine, mm. by five to six feet of large intestine. If you were to take that out of the body and spread it out, it would cover an entire tennis court. Wow. Oh, <laughs> there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of space inside of our body. And that space is just the digestive system. Now, living in that digestive system is a number of bacterial organisms a thousand times a hundred trillion. Mm. And under optimum conditions, 80% or more of all the organisms living in the digestive system would be probiotic. Mm. And if you had that situation, if a person had 80% or more of all of the organisms living in their digestive system being probiotics, they would have perfect health. Not only would they have perfect digestive system health, no gas, no bloating, no cramping, no diarrhea, no constipation. They'd sleep well. They'd have a healthy immune system. Their skin would look great. No aches and pains. Because again, as we said earlier, everything is downstream of the microbiome. 
But due to modern diet, due to processed foods, due to antibiotics, due to chemicals in the water, chemicals in the air, stress, financial stress, relationship stress, and all the forms of negative stress, most people end up with a condition in their intestines that's not ideal. They don't have 80%. They don't have a healthy intestinal microbiome. Microbiome is the word to describe the ecosystem of organisms that lives in our gut. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have what's called intestinal symbiosis, a healthy gut. They have intestinal dysbiosis. They could have 50 or 60 or 70% or 80% of the total of all those organisms be unhealthy organisms, pathological organisms, what are called dysbiotic organisms. And those organisms include bacteria, viruses, yeast, mold, fungus, worms, parasites. There's all kinds of nasty critters that can make their way into our digestive system. And when this happens, it causes symptoms. And so if you're listening and you're suffering from irritable bowel syndrome, if you go back and forth between episodes of diarrhea and constipation, if you have gas, if you have uh, bloating, if you have discomfort, if you have abdominal cramping, if you have any negative, if you have acid reflux, if you have heartburn, if you have any negative symptom that you know is coming from your digestive system, then 100% you have an imbalance of the gut bacteria and you have this condition called dysbiosis. Now, good news is that it's easily corrected. The bad news or challenging news is it's usually not enough to just take a probiotic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it works to be more mindful, to get properly hydrated, to change your diet, to eat more whole foods, and to take a good probiotic. Sometimes if you'll do those few things, you'll have success. In my work as a digestive wellness expert, I typically work with people who've had that negative condition called dysbiosis for many years. Mm. And they've tried to change their diet many times. And they've invested lots of money into probiotics and other supplements. They've tried all kinds of things and it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. I developed a protocol over 25 years ago using all the things that we've already talked about, but then using very specialized herbal products, herbal supplements that can go into the digestive system and neutralize the toxins being caused by all these negative organisms, quiet the upset belly or upset digestive system, neutralize the toxins, and then literally suffocate the bad organisms and be able to pull them out of your system. Hmm. Physically remove all of these bad bacteria and other pathological organisms. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes three or four weeks typically to complete that process. 
And while we're doing that, we're being very mindful to only eat and drink and consume things that will be conducive to a much healthier ecosystem, a much healthier microbiome. So that's one of the major things that I do in my practice. Now, I can say that not everyone needs to go through that extensive process, but many people do. Right. And the people who need that more extensive work, it's a it's a blessing. It's a godsend. It's a game changer. Uh, even after suffering for 20 years, I have people who after a week or two of implementing the protocols in my program tell me, I, I know I can't be 100% better yet, but I feel 100% better. <laughs> what a relief that is for so many people. Absolutely. I remember a friend from years ago who was probably in her 40s when I met her, and she's been suffering for years with diverticulosis. It makes her so sick and she can't work. And it's just horrible, the cramps and the and no one's been able to help her with that. This has been going on since I've known her. So maybe 30 or more years and not one doctor said I can help you with that. So, yes, I, I, um, please have your friend contact me. I help at least 12 to 18 people every year with diverticulitis, mm -hmm. which is an acute form of diverticulosis. Diverticulosis simply means there is trapped fecal matter somewhere in the person's colon. Uh. <clears throat> A tremendous number of people have diverticulosis for years and years and years mm -hmm. and never turns into diverticulitis. But at some point, it can turn into diverticulitis. Diverticulitis means that the area where the trapped fecal matter is has become infected, has become inflamed. Right. And because of the inflammation, it's very painful. In fact, yes. appendicitis is diverticulitis of the appendix. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but but even if you've had, you can see <clears throat> on my, <clears throat> excuse me, on my website, several uh, testimonials uh, under the category of diverticulitis, and some of them are quite dramatic. Mm. I'm thinking about right now in particular, called me from her hospital bed because the, uh, the uh, GI surgeon had just left her room and told her that because of the amount of trapped fecal matter in her colon, she had no other option other than surgery. Ugh. Move three feet of her colon. Oh, my gosh. And I told her that as long as her doctor would agree with her going through my program, that the possibility existed that that same doctor would look at an x-ray three months from now or four months from now, as long as she didn't have another attack of diverticulitis. Mm -hmm. if, she did, if that happened, then she'd have to go to the hospital. But- Fingers crossed, we went into this process with eyes wide open, and she didn't have another attack of diverticulitis. In fact, she felt better and better as each day went by. She lost 30 pounds, mm. and a lot of that was probably from you know where. Yep, yep. 
And we were able to get another GI doctor to do an abdominal x-ray either three months or four months later. And her colon was clean, mm. not have to have surgery. And she still has not had surgery. And she's been very healthy uh, ever since. So <clears throat> again, this, these things that I've learned over the years can help anybody with any type of negative condition. Mm-hmm. Definitely, if you have a negative digestive system disorder, then this this particular protocol is, like I said, it's you know a lifesaver and a game changer for so many people. Yeah. Wow. And it's simple. It's easy. I guide people through the process. There's nothing for anybody to figure out. It's totally non-toxic. It's totally safe. It's totally comfortable. <laughs> That's good. So we've covered a lot today. So give us um, your website where people can go to get more information if they're interested in getting healthier and getting better, feeling better. Thanks, Terry. The website is the Center for Functional Nutrition.net. <clears throat> of course, www.thecenterforfunctionalnutrition.net. Or if you have my name, Russell Mariani, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, two S's, two L's, Mariani, M-A-R-I-A-N is in Nancy, I. You just Google my name, it'll go right to uh, the website. And uh, we offer everyone a free 30-minute, what we call first-step conversation. And you can, you'll see that from the homepage of the website under the heading Getting Started. So if you have questions or any concerns, if you have a condition that you would like to see improved or completely transformed, you can set up a free 30-minute session with me, and I can let you know pretty quickly whether I feel confident that I can help you or not And most of the time I can. Mm, Excellent. Excellent. Well, you've been so helpful. We've learned a lot today. We're going to have to do this again because we really only scratched the surface, but at least this gets my audience started at thinking and maybe hydrating themselves better. And uh, and then we can go from there. But anyone who's out there listening that is really having problems, feel free to go to Russell's website and then contact him. Get the free 30-minute evaluation. Why not? nothing to lose there. And I will have his website on in the show notes. So if you're out and about and you can't write anything down, just go to my show notes. You'll see Russell's name. You'll see the website and we can go from there. So thank you so much for joining us, Russell, and helping uh, my boomers with all this information. I know there's a lot of them out there that are dehydrated and have digestive problems. So we really did address a lot of that and we'll have to do it again in a couple months. Absolutely. And I am a boomer too, born in 1955. So right in the middle of the the whole baby boom. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much, Terry. Thoroughly enjoyed this. And yes, we'll, we'll have another conversation down the road. Me too. So stay healthy and don't forget, be bold, not old. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.
This podcast is sponsored by Premier Podcast Productions. Let's face it, everybody loves to make podcasts and vodcasts, but nobody wants to edit them. At Premier Podcast Productions, we professionally edit and distribute podcasts and vodcasts for companies around the world. Contact us at premierpodcastpros at gmail.com. 